0: I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me just say good morning to our West Campus. Thank you for being here this morning. And I pray that God will use this message to touch your heart and challenge you in a special way. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series that we've entitled The Elephant in the Room. How many of you have heard of that That saying, that phrase before, the elephant in the room. You've heard of it? Okay, the elephant in the room describes a difficult situation, a problem situation that is so big that you can't miss it. And yet, it's a situation that no one wants to address, no one wants to handle because it's uncomfortable to handle it. It's the elephant in the room. Now, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he wasn't dealing with an elephant in the room. He was dealing with a herd of elephants in the room. The church at Corinth was facing a number of different issues, a a number of different problems. And and the amazing thing is, the problems that they faced 2,000 years ago are many of the same problems that you and I faced Today, for instance, they had to deal with church splits and and how do you handle arguing and and bickering in the church. They had to deal with church discipline and and how do you handle church members, believers, that need to be disciplined. They had to deal with sexual immorality and the questions of, of what was right and what was wrong. What were the things that we can do and what are the things that we cannot do? They had to answer the questions about marriage and divorce and then remarriage. Is it okay to get remarried once we've been divorced? They had to answer the questions of of freedom and and how we use the freedom that we have in Christ to honor Christ and, and not offend other brothers. They had to deal with worship wars, and and what was proper worship, and and what was improper worship, and they had to deal with the end times, and and what happens when we die. Now what is amazing is, like I said, the issues that they face, the issues that, that Paul addressed in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, are the same kind of problems that we deal with today, and so for the next two months, we're going to tackle Some of these difficult issues that we address in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now before we jump into this book, I want to give you a little bit of background. And if you want to know the background of this letter, this book, then you need to turn to Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, we discover where the church at Corinth was birthed. It it came into being. Paul was on his second missionary journey and he had just left Athens. Athens was the the place of of intellect, the place of philosophical thought. And and when he was in Athens, he reasoned with these philosophers at at Mars Hill. But when he left Athens, he came to Corinth. Now, one of the things you'll discover about Paul's ministry is this. It always seemed to land him in metropolitan cities, major cities, and Corinth was no exception. Corinth was one of the leading cities of Paul's day. It was the capital of the province of Achaia. It had a population, many say, of around 700,000 people. Corinth was built on a, on a narrow strip of land, an isthmus that, that joined southern Greece and northern Greece. And because it was the only way of travel on land, it was a major commercial center. There were two seaports at Corinth. One of them was facing the Adriatic Sea. The other was facing the Aegean Sea. And because of this, it was a city of worldwide commerce and and people from all over the world would visit Corinth. But it was not only a city of commerce, Commerce. It was not only a a city where people from all over the world visited, it was a city of immorality and and many different kinds of religion. The city was filled with shrines and temples to a variety of gods, but the most prominent of all was a temple to Aphrodite. And, And her temple was situated on the top of an 1800 foot point. People from miles away could see this temple. And there were over a thousand temple prostitutes that were helping people worship the goddess Aphrodite. Because the the people of Corinth were so immoral, because the city was so wicked, they came up with a term. It was corinthiosomai, Corinthiosomai, which means to act like a Corinthian. And whenever someone was, was really living an immoral lifestyle, a wicked lifestyle, they would say that about them. They were acting like a Corinthian. Every two years, they had the Ithmian Games in Corinth. And the Ithmian Games rivaled only the, the Olympics that they had every four years. And so it was the second biggest athletic event in the world at that time. And, and people from all over the world would come there. And we see some of the word pictures that Paul uses are very athletic terms when we look at the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, when Paul arrived in Corinth, he immediately met two people, a couple, a man and a woman, Aquila and Priscilla. And they were Jews who, who had left Italy, Because of an edict, a decree by Claudius. Claudius commanded that all of the Jews leave Rome. And Aquila and Priscilla were Jews, so they left Rome and they ended up in Corinth. And most likely, Paul met Aquila and Priscilla at the synagogue. Because because whenever Paul would go to a new city, he would immediately go to the synagogue and he would worship God there and you would begin to tell them about Jesus. Now, we don't know whether Priscilla and Aquila were already believers when they met Paul or or Paul led them to Jesus. But what we do know is that they became Christ followers and they became some of the closest, dearest friends of Paul. As a matter of fact, while Paul was in Corinth, he lived with them. And for the first part of his ministry there, he worked with them as a tent maker because they made tents. Well, he stayed there. Paul stayed there for for 18 months. And and the Bible says that many people came to faith in Christ because of Paul's ministry there. And the church at Corinth became one of the strongest churches in the world at that day. Now, after 18 months of ministry, Paul left Corinth... And he took Aquila and Priscilla with them. And and they went first of all to Ephesus. And and when he left Ephesus, when Paul left Ephesus, he left Aquila and Priscilla there. And, And Paul left and he went on and eventually made it back to Antioch, which was his home base. That was his home church. Aquila and Priscilla stayed in Ephesus. And that's important. Because while they were there, they met this young Jew who was an incredible communicator, who knew the Old Testament Scriptures, who spoke boldly in the synagogue. His name was Apollos. But the Bible tells us that that Apollos only knew the baptism of John. And so he knew about John the Baptist. He knew John's message of repentance. Remember, that's what John came preaching, a, a message of repentance. He knew that the Messiah was coming, but Apollos did not know the full story about Jesus. And so when Aquila and Priscilla heard Apollos speaking, they took Apollos aside and they began to disciple him and tell him more about Jesus. And Apollos evidently became a believer. And once he became a believer, he decided that God was calling him to Achaia, to the province of Achaia, specifically to Corinth. And so Apollos went to Corinth to preach the good news boldly in Corinth. And so here's Paul. He's back in Antioch. Aquila and Priscilla are still in Ephesus. And now Apollos, who is this great communicator, is in Corinth. Well, after a while, Paul went on his third, his final missionary journey. and, And he eventually landed in Ephesus. And he stayed there for two years. Had an incredible ministry in Ephesus. But while he was there... He got a message about the church in Corinth. He got a message that the church was having some problems. And so he wrote them a letter. It's not First Corinthians. He wrote them a letter that we don't have. Paul talks about that letter in First Corinthians 5. He says, remember I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral persons. Not meaning the sexually immoral of the world. Because if you did, you would have to disassociate with everyone but those who were sexually immoral who call themselves believers. And so Paul wrote this first letter to the Corinthians that we don't have. Now you may say, why don't we have that letter? I'll tell you why. God didn't want us to have it. It it probably said some good things in it, but it wasn't the inspired word of God. You see, there are many letters out there that, that came from antiquity, There are letters that were written by people to various churches that aren't part of Scripture. And some of these letters, like the Didache, the Didache literally means teaching. The Didache teaches some incredible things, but it's not inspired like the Bible is inspired. You see, I can stand up and I can tell you what the Word of God says and I pray Every time I stand up to communicate that God is speaking through me and God's spirit is inhabiting me. But understand, I don't speak with the authority that these men spoke. When Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, he was speaking inspired by God to the point that every word he said was the exact word that God wanted said. God used the personalities. God used the intellect. God used the experiences of the people who gave us his word to give us his word. And yet, God used them in such a way that when we have the finished product, it is exactly what God wanted us to have. And so Paul wrote this first letter telling them not to associate with sexually immoral people and and it's obvious that they misunderstood the letter. Well, while he was in Ephesus, Paul received a a, a visit from some members of Chloe's household. Chloe was a a member of the church in Corinth and they came and, and they told Paul that there are troubles going on in Corinth. People are starting to get divided and, and they're saying, some of them are saying we follow Apollos and some are saying we follow Peter and some are saying we follow Paul. And, and then there are some that are trying to act super spiritual and they say, well, we follow Jesus. And, and and the church was becoming divided. And about this same time, Paul received a letter from the church. And this letter asked a series of questions Of Paul about how to handle certain things. How do you handle marriage and divorce? How how do you handle the freedom that we have in Christ? Uh, What about the resurrection? And and he addressed these questions. And so when Paul got this this report from Chloe's household and he got this letter from the church at Corinth, he sat down in Ephesus and he wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians addressing these problems. Now, what I want us to do for the next few minutes is just look at the first nine verses. We're not going to begin to look at the elephants. We're not going to look at that big herd of elephants. We're going to start that next week when we talk about church splits, church divisions, and and how we handle these, and, and how all of our denominations and all of these things that we have today have literally come from these things. But today, what I want us to do is set the stage As Paul gives us the introduction to the letter. And there are three things that I want us to see as we look at these first nine verses. The first thing I want us to see is this. Paul's calling. And we see Paul's calling in verse 1. Listen to what it says. I hope you have God's word open. It says this. Paul, called to be an apostle. Circle that word called. Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus By the will of God. Circle that phrase, will of God. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And our brother, Sosthenes. Now, the Bible teaches us that God calls each and every one of us. Did you know that? The Bible teaches that. God calls everyone, first of all, to salvation. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, God's word, Paul makes it clear that God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth of God. So God calls each of us to salvation, but once we answer that call to salvation, God calls us then to service. You see, God wants each and every one of us to know him, to have a relationship with him, to to experience his forgiveness that comes through Jesus. But once we have that, he wants us to serve him. Now that call to salvation for Paul occurred on the Damascus Road. We have the account of this in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Paul was a, a Jew who was dead set on destroying the church. He literally wanted to not only put the church out of business, he wanted to wipe the church from the face of the planet. And he was doing everything within his power to do that. And when he was on the road to Damascus, he was going to Damascus to arrest, persecute, and put to death believers. But on that road, something happened. He encountered the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus, with all of his glory, blinded him. And he saw Jesus for the very first time as the Savior and the Lord of the world. And on that road to Damascus, he humbled himself to Jesus. And he answered his call to salvation. Right after then, Paul began to tell people about Jesus. Uh, Let me share something with you, I believe with all my heart. When we really do come to understand that Jesus is our only hope. That he is the only way of salvation. He is not the plan A of multiple plans. He is the only plan for salvation. And we experience the salvation that he brings. We discover the grace that he gives. We understand the forgiveness that he offers. Let me tell you, we're going to want to tell other people about that forgiveness. We're going to want other people to know about that grace and mercy that we've experienced so that they can experience it. And we're not going to want anyone to go without hearing that God loves us, God cares for us, and, and God has offered a way to forgive us. And, and so Paul started sharing the good news about Jesus immediately when he was saved. Well, Paul immediately got involved in in the ministry of telling people about jesus and he eventually connected to a church in antioch and he became a leader in that church in antioch and in acts chapter 13 tells us the story of how one day paul and um barnabas and, and and the other leaders were were praying and they were fasting and as they were praying and fasting god spoke can i tell you something look at me can i tell you something If you don't think that God speaks to you today, maybe, just maybe, it's because you're not spending enough time in prayer. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you've never yearned for Him enough for you were willing to fast as you seek Him. These believers in Antioch, they so wanted to experience the the heart and the hand of God that they were praying and they were fasting. And as they did, God spoke to them. And God said, I want you to set apart Paul and Barnabas for this work that I've called them to. And the work was to be missionaries to the Gentiles. The specific word for that is apostle. Now you say, what does apostle mean? Well, literally, the word apostle means sent out. And so when the Bible says Paul was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, it means that he was sent out by God to tell people about Christ Jesus. Now in the Bible, that word apostle means two things. First of all, it's talking about a specific group of people. In Acts chapter 1, we discovered that there were 11 apostles because Judas, who was the one who betrayed Jesus, he was an apostle and, and he killed himself. And, and so the early church would gather, gather together to, to replace Judas with another apostle. And as they were looking for this apostle, they said, here are the requirements, the standards for being an apostle. They have had to have been with Jesus from his baptism all the way until the time that he went up into heaven. And so the early church had two men in mind, and they began to pray and sought God, and and they chose Matthias. They believed that God led them to Matthias. And so you had that form of apostle. But then there is another form of apostle, which is a spiritual gift. The apostle Paul talks about this in in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, that, that God gives some the gift of apostleship. Most people today think that that term apostleship, that gift apostleship, is the gift of being a missionary today. People who go to other cultures and and other lands, they go to foreign places and difficult places to share the Word of God. You see, I'm convinced that we should all open our hearts and open up our will to do whatever God calls us to do. And, and I would go even further to say that until God tells us not to go, when there are over 3,000 unengaged, unreached people groups in America and the world today, we should have it on our radar to go to the people of the world who have never heard the name of Jesus and tell them about Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, is God calls us to different things. And so God had called Paul to be an apostle, to be sent out to the Gentiles to share the good news. Now, listen very carefully. I am convinced that God calls every one of us to salvation, and I'm convinced that God calls every one of us to service. God wants to save you, and then God wants you to to serve him. And God has a specific calling, service, that he wants you to do. Not everyone is called to preach, not everyone is called to teach, not everyone is called to be an apostle, not everyone is called to a certain ministry here or a certain ministry there, but we are all called to serve in God's divine plan, each and every one of us. And so my question for you before you go any further is this. One, have you answered God's call to salvation? Have you given your heart and life to him? Have you humbled yourself to him, recognizing that your best will never be good enough to be saved? That you need God's grace and God's mercy to be forgiven? Have you humbled yourself before God? And then second, once you've received his gift and you have a relationship with him, have you discovered your place in his divine plan? Because you have a place in His divine plan, and, and can I tell you, God didn't give you a um, gift of sitting. There are some of you that may think that my gift is coming to church and sitting. I I, I come and and I sit so that Rocky has someone to talk to, and, and that's my gift. Can I tell you? Sometimes that's not a gift. I mean, especially when you start snoring, it gets bad. That's not a gift. God gives you a gift to build up the body and reach the world. Have you discovered your gift or your gifts? And are you using it in service to Him? Now, let me take a little detour for just a second. Now, even though there are some who are called to be apostles, they are sent out by God to be missionaries, Each and every one of us are sent out. Jesus, in that high priestly prayer of John 17, the Lord's Prayer, really, where he prayed in John 17. In John 17, Jesus said this, As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. You see, Jesus said, just as he was sent into the world with a mission, you and I, each and every one of us, have been sent into the world. We may not be sent to Egypt or Sudan or or Nigeria or or Oman or, or the Arab Emirates or, or India or some other place like that. We may not be sent to those places, but let me tell you, if we're not, we are sent to our neighbors, amen? We are sent to our co-workers, aren't we? We are sent to the people that we go to school with, the people that live next to us. We are sent into the world. So Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then notice what it says, and our brother Sosthenes. Now that's an interesting thing. Because if you go back to Acts chapter 18, you'll discover that there was a Sosthenes there in Corinth. When Paul always went to a a town, he always started his ministry in a synagogue. And most often, he was kicked out of the synagogue. And the same thing happened in Corinth. He was kicked out of the synagogue. But the leader of the synagogue, Crispus, and his family became believers. And so they started meeting with with Paul in, in a house with other believers who were worshiping Jesus Christ. The new leader of the synagogue was Sosthenes. Over a period of time, there were a group of Jews that tried to cause trouble for Paul. And so they brought Paul before the governor of Achaia, Achaia, making false charges against him. But the governor wouldn't even listen to it. But the people were all ticked off at the Jews. So you know what they did? The people that were there took Sosthenes and they beat him. He was the ruler, the leader of the synagogue, and he was beaten. But here he is with Paul on this missionary journey in Ephesus. How did that happen? Well, can I tell you how it happened? I believe with all my heart what happened is when Sothenes was beaten, the church ministered to him. You see, they were meeting in a home right next to the synagogue. And I imagine that the people of God... True believers were some of the first to be there, to take food to his family when when he was healing, to minister to him when he was hurting, to pray for his healing. And and as they saw, as Sosthenes and his family saw this Christian compassion, it it penetrated their hearts, convicted their spirit. And, And I believe that Sosthenes got saved. Now, what does this teach us? Never give up on a person, amen? You know, there are people that you look at today. Neighbors, co-workers. And this is what you say, I've tried, they're beyond hope. Have you ever thought that about somebody? They're never going to be reached. Probably there were people who said this about Sosthenes. But here he is, not only is he a believer... He is on a missionary journey with Paul. So never give up on someone. So the call. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And who's with him? Sosthenes, the former ruler of the synagogue. Now next, let's look at the church's description. Beginning in verse 2, notice what it says. To the church of God in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who called on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking, and all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, let me share with you several things that Paul tells us about the church here in these verses. First of all, the church belongs to God. It's the church of God. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not our church. It's his church. And we need to settle that right now, amen? It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not ours. It's his. Can you imagine someone coming into your house and looking around and saying, I don't like your furniture. I'm changing it. And then they walk around and they say, I don't like your carpet. I'm replacing it. And then they look at you and your kids and they say, I don't like you either. I'm bringing in another family. Can you imagine someone doing that in your house? You would say, let them try. They're not going to do it. And yet every day in America, we have the people of God doing the exact same thing. You see, we would say, You can't do that. This is my house. And yet today, God is saying, Oh, time out. This is my church. Listen very carefully. It's not up to us to decide what we're going to do, our mission. It's not up to us to decide who we're going to reach, our target audience. It's not up to us to decide what kind of ministry we're going to do. God is saying, that's my call. I get to decide what the church does because it's my church. Now listen very carefully. I'm convinced that many churches, and perhaps most churches in America today, are dying not because of a style issue, They are dying because of an ownership issue. They haven't realized that it's not their church. It's God's church. And so we try to protect our way of doing things. We try to protect our preferences, our desires, our likes, our wants, our wishes. It's our church. God says, if you want it, you can have it, but it's going to die. And that's why all across America, 90% of churches are plateaued and dying. We are losing the battle for the hearts and souls of Americans because the church of God doesn't realize we are the church of God. Now, why is it his? It's his because he established it. He bought it. He paid for it with his blood. Is his church. So the church belongs to God. Second thing, the church is a local body. Paul says the church in Corinth. Now, wouldn't it be great if when we are saved, we're immediately taken up into heaven? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I mean, it really would, wouldn't it? Because the very first 30 seconds, minute, hour, couple of days of being a Christian is incredible. And then reality dawns on us. We realize that we still live in a sin-filled world and we're battling an enemy, don't we? And we sit back and we go, whoa, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. This is tough. And it would be great for us if once we're saved, God says, okay, go on to heaven. But it would be awful for the world, wouldn't it? It would be terrible for the world. Because, you see, God leaves us here to accomplish His mission, the reason you're still living and breathing on planet earth in Lexington, South Carolina, is because God has something for you to do. If God didn't have something for you to do, if there wasn't something that is a part of his divine plan that he has for you to do, he would take you on home right now. If there isn't something that you need to accomplish for His will, for His glory, He would take you to heaven. But He says, I've got you here because I need you here. There's something you need to do. And so you need to find out what it is. The church at Corinth. Now now the believers in Corinth were left in, in perhaps the most vile, wicked city of the known world in that day. And so they were called to minister and live and rub shoulders with some of the most vile people that walk the planet. Now, I mean, sometimes we as believers don't. We, we have this idea that we want to sequester ourselves from the world. I mean, we go out and we see the evil and we see the wickedness and we come together and we talk about the evil and the wickedness like it surprises us that the world's wicked. And we come in here and we talk about the evilness of the world and we, we try to. to protect ourselves, and build up our walls so that the world can't get to us. When God's saying, no, you don't understand, I left you in the world so that you can be salt and light in the world. I've left you in the world so that the world can see the night and day difference that I've made in your life. Remember when Jesus was here on planet earth, he was called a friend of whom? Church people? No. The Pharisees? Never. The Sadducees? Doesn't say that. He was called a friend of sinners. Why? He hung out with sinful people. He was never like sinful people, but he loved them. He lived around them, and he touched them where they were at. And that's what God has called us to do. The church is a local body. Now, on another note, there are some people that think today that, that they don't need to be a part of a local body. I've heard people say this before. Well, I, I, I don't belong to a particular church. I, I belong to the church. And, and can I say to you, in light of God's Word, that is an arrogant thing to say. Because no believer in the New Testament ever said that. of the time where that word church is used in the New Testament is used to describe a local body of believers. We need one another. We are a body. We are a family. And God intends for us to join together with other believers in unity, accomplishing his purpose. And I would say to you today, listen to me. Look at me. If you're here and you're just an attender and you're just an observer and you're a Christ follower, and you've been attending and observing for a while, I think God's probably saying to you, get off your rear end and make a decision to be a part of a family. That's like dating the same woman for 30 years. Can I tell you, if I was a woman and a man dated me for 30 years, I'd say, pop the question or pop out the door. (laughs) And I think there comes a point where we we don't need to kick the tires anymore. We just need to determine, is this the body of believers that God has called me to be a part of because God wants all of us to be a part of a local church where we can serve Him, where we can make a difference in the world. The church is a local body. Third, the church is made up of those who have been made holy through Jesus and called to be holy because of Jesus. Paul says this. He says they are sanctified by Christ Called to be holy. And then that word sanctified and holy are, are, are really the same word. They both come from the Greek word hagias, which means set apart. Now, notice something. They became saints, they became sanctified not on the basis of what they did, they became sanctified through Christ Jesus. You hear me sainthood is never earned, sainthood is given. When we give our lives to Jesus. This room is filled with saints. Saint Willis. Has a ring to it. Saint Joe. Saint Rocky. Some of you are going, yeah, yeah. But all of us who have called on the name of Jesus, who have been born through his spirit, we are saints We have been made saints through Christ Jesus. The church is filled up with saints. But notice, not only are they saints in Christ Jesus, they are called to be saints. What that means is you have been made a saint through Christ Jesus. It's Jesus and His work in your life who makes you a saint. Now live like it. Live like it. You know, I've got four kids. And whatever my children do reflects on me because they carry my name. Whatever you do as a Christ follower reflects on Christ because you carry his name. And what Paul says is Jesus has made you a saint. Now live like it. You see, what I've discovered is many of us are positionally saints, but practically we're not living as saints. And yet Paul said we are to be different, distinct from the world. Paul said, I want the world to see the difference that I have made in your life. Fourth, the church is gifted to do everything God has called it to do. The church is gifted to do everything that God has called it to do. We have all the gifts to do everything He wants us to do. Now, not every believer has every gift, but every church has every gift it needs. Did you know that? That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that together as the body, He gives us the gifts that we need to carry out the mission that He has called us to accomplish. You can't do it by yourself and you can't do it by yourself and and you can't do it by yourself. But together, when you use your gifts and you use your gifts and you're using your gifts and, and I'm using my gifts and we're all using our gifts, then we will reach the maximum, the optimal potential that God has for our church. Together, we can do everything that God calls us to do. Now, there's another thing that I inadvertently left off the note sheet I want to give you. So write this down. This isn't a fill in the blank. You've got to write it down. The church is looking for Christ's return. Notice what it says. You eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, that's interesting to me. Because what he's saying is the church, the real church, is is eagerly awaiting Jesus' return. Why? Because when we become Christ followers, we realize this world, the appeal that this world had to us in the past, it's not as strong as it was before. The appeal to this world and the appeal of this world is is fading away and, and the appeal of heaven is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And the longer we're Christians, and the closer we are to Christ, really more than the longer we're Christians, we begin to eagerly await our Lord's return. Because we understand this world is not our home. It's not. This world is flawed, it is full of sin, it it, it, is tarnished and one day god's going to have to destroy it and remake it and we recognize that so we're not trying to establish permanent roots here on this earth that's that's why that's why we're seeking to to send our treasures on ahead of us that's why we're investing in the things of god not the things of this world because This world and everything in it is passing away. So the church is eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. The call of Paul, the description of the church. But then the third thing I want you to see, and we've got to wrap this up, is God's promise. Look at verses 8 and 9. I love these verses. He, and it's talking about God here. He will keep you strong to the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the day you stand before Him. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. I love that. He will keep you strong to the end. You see, oftentimes we lose our focus, don't we? I know I do. And maybe you don't, but I do. I know I know, I know, I know that my best will never be good enough. I know my righteousness, the the righteous acts that I can perform on my own, I know that they are nothing more than filthy rags in God's eyes and there's nothing I can do to ever deserve or earn God's favor and love. What I deserve is God's wrath. I deserve God's anger. God loved me and I rebelled against His love. I deserve His anger. And yet, He continued to love me with an everlasting love. And I received His mercy and experienced His grace And he changed my life. And and I know that my only hope for salvation is through what Jesus did on the cross. I know that. And and yet, and yet, there are times in my life, and maybe in your life, but I know there are times in my life as I'm walking through this life that I think even though I'm saved by what Jesus did, man, if I'm going to stay in his love, I've got to earn it i got to work for it. I know that I didn't deserve salvation, but for Him to continue to love me, I've got to do something. And I know that's wrong. I know it's wrong, but there are times that I feel that way. And that's why I love verses like this where it says, He will keep you strong to the end. He is faithful. Hear me. Once you become a child of God, And you've truly become a part of his family. It's not your responsibility to hold on to God. It's God's responsibility to hold on to you. And he who has promised that is faithful. And and you're thinking that there are times where you've messed up and you've blown it and you've fallen so far that... And you've turned a loose of God that he could never love you anymore. And God says, I love you with an everlasting love. And, and, and it says in Titus, hear this, it says in Titus, even when we're faithless, he will remain faithful. You, you see, I'm going to heaven. But, but not because I got saved and then I kept hold of Jesus. I'm going to heaven not because I accepted him by faith and I remain faithful. No. I'm going to heaven because he has kept me. And he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Now for some of you, you're thinking right now, well that means that people will abuse salvation. And those that have a desire to abuse it have never experienced it. Because when you've experienced the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, the sole desire of your heart is to love Him with every fiber of your being. And though there are times that you get distracted and though there are times that you may slip and fall and your heart of hearts is there. And when you do get distracted, and when you do fall, and when you do mess up, guess what? He is keeping hold of you. And he who began the good work in you is going to carry it through to, to completion because he is faithful. Now, and over the next two months, we're going to be looking at issues that, that this church, a group of believers, faced. And, and let me tell you, as you hear some of the things that they were doing, you're going to say to yourself, boy, they weren't saved. But they were. Blows our minds. We don't understand it. But they were. They were saints in Christ Jesus. There were times they weren't living like it. They weren't acting like it. But they were saints. And we're going to be looking at these issues and we're going to be looking at how you and I are called to be holy in an unholy world. But as we wrap this up, let me just... I would be amiss if I I didn't ask you this question because there may be some of you here this morning who you've never made that initial commitment, that initial choice to receive god's gift of eternal life you've never accepted his mercy and his grace you've never allowed his spirit to come into your life and his love to flood your life and if that's you i want going to extend an invitation to you right here right now to humble yourself before the only true god and his son jesus christ receive His gift of eternal life by His death on the cross and relinquish control of your life to Him and He'll change your life forever. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. If you're here and that's you, you need to do that today. You need to humble yourself and give your life to Jesus and accept His grace and His mercy to save you, then I want to encourage you to pray a prayer like this to Him right now. Dear God, please forgive me. I've been living life my way. I know that. I'm tired of doing that. I know you love me. It's evident. You've been patient with me. You haven't destroyed me. You allowed your son to pay the ultimate payment, give his life, so that I could be forgiven. Save me, Lord Jesus. I'm giving my life to you. Thank you for hearing me. Amen.